And the answer is all true believers. And then he'll list some reasons. By reason of God's eternal decree and unchangeable love, Christ's intercession and the spirit and word of God abiding in them are preserved by the power of God and supplied with every spiritual blessing in Christ and therefore will most certainly persevere in faith and holiness unto the end and be saved. So all true believers, because of the work of the Trinity on their behalf, will most certainly keep on doing those things they must in order to be saved, and so they will in the end be saved. All right? That's the, that's the answer. A good text is Hebrews 7.25. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost. He is Christ, of course. Those who come to God through him. Why? Because he ever lives to make intercession for them. So here's the first question. <clears throat> who will persevere and be saved? Now you might think if you listened to last week's lesson, well, this is a, a task so great, so daunting, it's almost impossible. I mean, who can actually persevere by themselves in faith and holiness so that they will be saved in the end? Well, the short answer to this question of who will persevere and be saved is this. All true believers. Be assured, brothers and sisters, every true believer. This is what the answer says, and it rightly represents Scripture here. Everyone who genuinely places their trust in God's only way of salvation, Jesus Christ, will be saved. Everyone who, by the regenerating work of God, the, the new birth, has the genuine seed of faith planted in them, they will see that seed sprout and prosper and grow up into the fruitful tree of salvation. Not a single person who only mouths a promise to believe and obey the gospel will be saved, but everyone who truly believes will not be lost, but will be rescued in the final day. Right? So, who will persevere and be saved? All true believers. Question two. Does the strength to continue in the faith come from ourselves? And of course, to our great relief, the answer is no. It is God's power. That's the short answer. No, it is God's power. The Christian life didn't begin in your own strength any more than your physical life began in your own strength. Children, it should be obvious to you that you didn't decide to be born before you were conceived. You didn't will yourself into existence. What, what a silly idea. You didn't pick your parents. Likewise, we didn't receive the gospel in order to be born again. We were born 
in order to receive, born again in order to receive. We must get the order correct. John 1, 12 and 13, those who received him, that is, those who exercised faith, were born not of their own will, but God's. How were they able to believe? Because they were already born again. Well, where did that come from? Did they birth themselves? Nonsense. God birthed them. Or John 3, what does Jesus say? Unless one is born from above or born again, he cannot see, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So we don't, we don't believe in order to be born again. We are born again in order to believe. Well, that should be a great, great comfort to us. Because then we don't keep on believing in order to stay saved as much as God keeps us by his power believing so that we will be saved. James 1.18 Of God's own will, he gave birth to us. So our, our spiritual life, our faith, didn't spring into existence by our own power. And here's really the point. Neither does our continuance in the faith come by our own power. Yes, we must work hard to persevere, just like we heard last week. Continuing to obey the gospel is necessary for salvation, and we must pursue it diligently. But the power to do so isn't rooted in us. It comes from God. 1 Peter 1, 3-5 emphasize um, this, that it is the keeping of God, not our faith, that keeps us. The passage is clear and simple. Those who are birthed by God are then kept by his power for salvation. Now, faith is the means he uses, the gracious means he uses, the gracious instrument or method. But it, it is his work that creates and enables us to have faith initially and then to continue in faith to the end. John 10, 28 to 30. It is the activity of God. You don't read the passage and say, oh, look at all the things I'm doing, or I have to do, or I will do. No, it is God at work there. And then because he works in us, we can work. God gives eternal life. He doesn't give temporary religious life. <laughs> he gives eternal life. And he preserves that life. We need to understand that Life from God is invincible. It's unconquerable. It's unfailing. It's infallible. Not that we never sin, but it can never be destroyed. It can never be proven false. And this is true not just at the time of our initial spiritual birth, but forever all the way to the end. Our faith, our life from which our faith comes, can never be taken away by anyone or anything. And so the only right response 
is to believe this word from God and, and praise him and thank him that this is his work. This is why God gets all the glory in our salvation, even when there are things we do. Because it's his power that makes it all possible. There is no place for boasting here. None. None at all. All right, so who will persevere to the end and be saved? All true believers. Two, does the strength to continue in the faith come from ourselves? No, it is God's power from beginning to end. As Martin Lloyd-Jones famously said, it is grace at the beginning, it's grace in the middle, it's grace at the end, it's the power of God. Right? Questions about any of that? All right, question three. What are the grounds of God's preserving true believers? What are, the, what are the reasons why God would do such a thing, that he would continue to powerfully work in us all the way to heaven? What are the reasons? Well, there are a number of them listed in our answer, but the, the short answer is simply, this is the continuing work of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit all work to preserve us for salvation. Here, here is the list. Uh, there are four items. First, God's eternal decree. It was the eternal purpose of God the Father to save a people of his choosing. This is what we call the doctrine of predestination and election. Those are Bible words. Those aren't just man-made-up theological words. Those are Bible words. They're found all throughout the Word of God. And so these things are not something to dismiss. They're not something to ignore or be afraid of or, frankly, even argue about. These are doctrines we should rejoice in because this is one of the reasons you are kept by God. Because God from all eternity planned, willed, for you and me to get to heaven, all the way to heaven. Romans 8, 28 to 30, it says we are destined to be like Christ. Well, how does he do that? How does he make it like Christ? By the unbreakable golden chain of salvation that we've preached on before. Right? What's that golden chain? It begins with predestination and calling and justification and glorification. All of these things God preordains. And so no one is lost. No one who's predestined is lost. No one who's called is lost. No one who is justified is lost. They are all glorified. They are given life and faith because of God's plan, because of his decree, and so they will continue to be supported in all of the graces necessary to gain full and final salvation. So the first ground, the first basis, the first reason for your confidence is God has an eternal decree about these things. Secondly, God's unchangeable love. Remember that election or God's choosing is always done in the context of love. Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. In love, he predestined us. 
Jeremiah 31.3, God has loved us with an everlasting love. Unless you don't live up to what you ought to, and then he, no, it, there are no buts, there are no exceptions. God has loved us with an everlasting love. God is love. It's his character. And because his character is unchanging, so his purpose is unchanging. It is immutable. He will bless the people that he plans to bless. That promise stands sure. You know Malachi 3.6, I the Lord do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. We live so imperfectly as believers that it it would be unri- it would be uh, righteous for God to abandon us, except that He's made a plan. He has an unchanging love, and He has accomplished things in Christ so that He cannot, He does not, He will not abandon us. So we live the life of faith. And we are not punished as our sins deserve because of God's unchanging love for us in Jesus Christ. What an amazing doctrine. A third ground, a third reason why we cannot be lost is Christ's intercession. If you are in Christ, if you are joined to Christ, you are unbreakably attached to him. This is what election does. It, in God's purpose, attaches us to Christ. And then in time and space, through faith, we are joined to Christ. And so everything that he did for us is given to us. He's the mediator whose righteous life and atoning death unalterably secure our salvation. And now he lives to plead our case to the Father. He does this simply by living before him forever in heaven. Right? We've said this verse a lot recently. I think even this morning, Hebrews 7.25, Jesus saves to the uttermost. The Bible doctrine of salvation isn't a wide bridge that everyone could get across, but it doesn't reach the other side. No, The work of salvation is God building a bridge all the way across the chasm of need, of sin, of death. And so we are saved forever and for every need. Christ is all. Christ is all. A fourth and final foundation or reason is the spirit and words abiding in John 14, verses 15 to 18, the, Spirit, the Spirit's presence in believers is declared to be permanent. This is supported in Ephesians 1.14, where the Holy Spirit is called the guarantee of our inheritance. Notice he's not the possibility of our inheritance. He's not the maybe. He's the guarantor. He is the down payment so that it is absolutely assured that we will receive all the inheritance that is ours in Jesus Christ. 
He is also called, of course, the Spirit of Truth. And according to uh, chapters 16 and 17 of John, he will take Christ's word and declare it to Christ's people. They will be taught and they will be sanctified by the truth of the word of God, by the Spirit of God. And because of that, yes, they may stray at times, but they're always brought back. There is a spirit of jealousy who lives in us, who simply will not be denied. And he brings the word to us, and he draws us back through faith and repentance. And we stay on the path, and we arrive at heaven. Because of all these reasons, um, the Holy Spirit's work is a ground of our perseverance. We will keep on keeping on until the end. Well, what benefits, question four, what benefits do all of these things bring to us? The short answer is everything necessary for eternal salvation. The Father's plan, the Son's work, and the Spirit's application of that perfect work are everything necessary for eternal salvation. According to 2 Peter 1, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Or to put it another way, quoting Ephesians 1.3, we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. There is nothing that we need for salvation that God doesn't supply. His is not a partial remedy. It's everything we need. So again, there's, there's no possibility of failure for the true believer. These grounds, these four grounds that we just talked about, supply absolutely every grace and every support that we need to make it to heaven. You know, if we look to ourselves, we might say things like, I can't keep on going. Sometimes I feel so close to giving up. I I don't feel like I have everything I need to make it. Look at the guilt of my sins. I'm too filthy. I do evil things. Well, you have pardoned through the death of Christ. Not just once, but as often as you need it. You have the righteousness of Christ. That's the only way God looks at you, child of God. He doesn't see you in yourself. He doesn't see you in your first covenant head, Adam. He sees you only in your present covenant head, Jesus Christ. Oh, this is the beauty of the new covenant. God cannot, by oath, by promise, by agreement, he cannot look at you another way except in Jesus Christ. When we say, I I don't think I'll persevere, I'm, I'm too weak, I'm too afraid. Well, remember, the Bible says we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In Pilgrim's Progress, part two, and I've told you this story before, Bunyan shows that not only 
Mr. Greatheart, and Master Valiant for the Truth, arrive at heaven. But also Christians with names like Master Fearing, Master Feeble Mind, Master Despondency, you know, we would say Mr. Depression, Mistress Much Afraid, and even Mr. Ready to Halt, get to heaven. How? How do these weak ones get to heaven? By the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ, that overcome all of our native weaknesses. You remember the oil example. There's a fire burning on one side of the wall. Sometimes it rages. Sometimes it almost seems to flicker out. What's the secret? How does it keep burning? No one's adding fuel to it. Oh, yes, they are. Behind the wall, secretly, the Spirit of God is pouring the oil of the work of Christ into every believer's life. What does God say in 2 Corinthians 12, 9? My grace is sufficient for you. Brothers and sisters, doubting is one thing. Calling God a liar, no, it's really not sufficient. That's another thing. Believe the word of God. His grace is sufficient for you. It doesn't matter how you feel. Really, it doesn't. I don't mean at the human level. Of course, we don't want you to be in doubt or pain. or. But at the eternal level, your doubts, your fears... They don't undo the work of Jesus. How could, how could that be? <laughs> You're not that strong. Your fears aren't that strong. Your doubts aren't that strong. His grace is sufficient for you. Believe it and be at peace. This is why I, I simply cannot tell you, <laughs> after we read the, the promise of God to forgive our sins after we've confessed them, I have to tell you, believe and be at peace because that's what God wants for us. And that's just a, a microcosm of the macrocosm of salvation. That's just a little bit of the big picture. But the same truth is true for all of salvation. Believe and be at peace. Keep going on. Christ has you. Well, question five. How sure is a saint's perseverance? I hope you know the answer. In two words, it is absolutely sure. How sure? Absolutely sure. No exceptions. Or as the answer, I think, beautifully, even rather dramatically puts it, they will most certainly persevere. What a great way of talking. They will most certainly persevere. It is certain according to our answer and according to scripture. There is no chance at all that a true believer will not persevere. Remember what we sing. Bradley Kiefer's favorite hymn. He hears it every morning apparently upon waking up. I'm not sure if I'm happy for Jessica or pity her. But what does it say in one of the later verses? And he must win the battle. The invincible Christ cannot lose you. He must win the battle. 
because it's not ultimately we who keep ourselves, but it is the invincible power of God that keeps us and gives us everything we need for life and godliness. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. In the final day, you will be saved. There is no need to doubt. There is no need to waste energy listening to the devil's or the flesh's or the world's whispers about how evil you are. Tell them they don't know the half of it, but Jesus does. And he loved you, and he died for you, and you are utterly safe, brothers and sisters. Utterly safe. What a great Savior we have. 